Thank you, uh, Ms. Julie. Uh, I think she should come every week uh, before every sermon and uh, remind us that we are, <laughs> these stories are from God's word uh, and that we need to open our eyes and our hearts and I forget the third one. What was it? Ears, ears, that's right, right? You guys have to hear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll be a bad preschool student, but it's okay. Um, so thank you, uh, Julie, for kind of summarizing uh, what I'm going to talk about today. And as I do mention, and that we are going to talk about that story, uh, please um, see the difference, because uh, seeing the difference uh, allows us to see um, the, the heart of Deuteronomy. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, the heart of Deuteronomy. Um, I've, been the, I've been given the, uh, the task of kind of ending the series in Deuteronomy. It's not an easy book to preach on, so I commend uh, those who came before me and preached on it. They did a great job. Um, uh, but we, we do need to end it here. And the ending is, um, it's an interesting ending. It's almost a sad ending. Uh, but we'll see that um, in the end, it's, it's not as bad as it looks. So if you could... Uh, Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34, and this is the last chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to read uh, verses 4 through 8, and skip a little bit and read uh, verses 10. So this is the very last uh, words of Deuteronomy. In verse 4 from Deuteronomy chapter 34, reads this way. The Lord said to him, uh, this is a land, said to him, meaning Moses, this is a land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we come before you uh, to your word. Lord, would you open our hearts to the truth of your word. Let it sink in, Lord, um, into our hearts. And may we be convicted by it, blessed. And may we move forward knowing uh, your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, as we talk about the, the, the end of Moses, probably the, either the greatest probably person in the Old Testament, between Abraham, him, and uh, David, um, he almost has a sad ending. Uh, he's led his people throughout the um, wilderness, um, you know, from, from Egypt to the wilderness, and he's at the edge, they're at the edge. Um, they're on, it says here, they're on top of Mount Oeb, and he's able to actually see Jericho. He's able to see the promised land. And it looks, and God says, you can look with your eyes, but you are not going to go in. So all that he's accomplished, and look at how Deuteronomy describes um, his life. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 34, it says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him, for all the signs and the wonders, wonders and the, and the, that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power 
and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. So the way the, the book of Deuteronomy says is that he was a remarkable man. He was given a lot, and he did a lot. He saw a lot, and he praised God. He obeyed him for the most part. But yet, he was not able to achieve the very prize that God promised all of Israel. I will bring you out from slavery into freedom, but you're not going to stay with me in the mountain here and just worship. No, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the prized possession that you will gain and have. But yet Moses, doing all of this, comes to a point and he's not able to go in. Why not? What, what did he do? Because for the most part, if you read the description of who he is, he, he was a great man, great servant of the Lord, uh, yet he was not able to go in. If you look chapter uh, 32, and this is still the, towards the end of Deuteronomy uh, and towards the end of Moses, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 48, uh, they tell us the, the reason. Uh, it tells us the reason why Moses could not go and... Um, into the promised land. This is in verse 48 of chapter 32. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mountain of the Abram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan. It says, go up there and view and see the land of Canaan, which I promise, which I'm giving to the people for Israel for a possession. And then, <laughs> then he says, and die on the mountain. Okay, go up the mountain, see what I promised, your forefathers, why I took you out of Egypt, go see, look at it, and then die on this mountain, which you go up and be, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because, he says, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of your people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. So he goes up to the mountain. He sees it, land of Canaan. It's right there within his reach. And God says, you will die on this mountain. And so it's like this great man who achieved a lot, not only for himself, but for God. Great leader, great servant of God. And God says, you can look, but you can't touch and smell this thing that I promised. And it's because of a certain thing that you did in this particular incident. And so if we're going to get this right, if we're going to get the ending of Deuteronomy right, we do need to go back to this incident and see what caused him to lose his prized possession. And so we're going to go look at Numbers 20 and Exodus 17. Okay. Uh, Ms. Julie told us that there's almost the exact stories. So that Numbers 20, uh, she kind of summarizes, so I'm just going to summarize it. The people complained, all right? The people complained that they were thirsty. And just as a reminder, this is actually the second generation. It's not the first generation. It's not the generation that came out of the land of Egypt but this generation heard a lot of the story from their, probably from their fathers, from their mothers, about what happened, the miracles that happened. Okay? And not only in Egypt with all the plagues, but all the miracles in terms of like the manna, um, 
what happened at Mount Sinai, all of these things they've heard. Uh, they haven't experienced maybe a lot of the miracles of God, but they heard a lot. And so at this moment, all of them, just, you know, it seems like the whole of Israel gathered together and said, we are thirsty and we are ready to die. And so they complain that, that you know, why did, you, why did you lead us here, right? And so, he, so Moses goes up to God and, and as, as Ms. Julie pointed out, says, go and speak to the rock. Uh, and the water will come out, and they will be saved. So Moses and uh, goes, and Moses and Aaron goes, and he doesn't. They don't speak to the rock. They speak to the people, which is important. They speak to the people, uh, tell them this is what's going to happen. He strikes the uh, the rock twice. The water gushes out, and after that incident, God says to Moses, "The people are saved. However, uh, because you did this, you broke faith with me, and you did not set me as holy before the people of Israel." you will not attain the prize that I promised. Okay, so that's what happened in that instant, Numbers 20. Um, and this was, like I said, the second generation close to where they are right now. But really to understand Numbers 20, we do need to go to Exodus 17. Almost a very exact similar event with a few differences, as Ms. Julie pointed out. So if you guys, if you guys can, turn with me to Exodus uh, 17. And we'll read verses 1 through 7. So Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. And it says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there were no water in the people to drink. So they were thirsty again. There was no water for them to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Now, these people, okay, these people here that are complaining is the first generation, is the one that witnessed the exodus, witnessed the, the parting of the sea, witnessed the, the man. They experienced uh, many, many things, of many things that, that God did through Moses, okay? But yet, they were still here complaining. They had no right complaining after the miracles that they've experienced and, and they were blessed with. But yet here, because there was no water, they didn't trust that God would provide water for them, so they started and complained. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Okay, so we'll pause there and see what's going on here. So these people are saying, we are thirsty, we are about to die, and Moses, and it's your fault. It's your fault because you let us out. We, we were in slavery, yes, but at least we were able to drink water. At least we were able to eat and we, were, we would be alive. But here you brought us into this wilderness. Yes, thank you for all that you've done, but we are not going to die. You should have never taken us out. And the word that's used is they quarreled with Moses, which, you know, sometimes the other translators will say they complain. Uh, and that's, that complaint is, is the correct word. That's what they were doing. But it's actually a little bit more than complaining. This word, quarrel, okay? This word is actually a, a legal term, meaning that what, what the people were doing was not just complaining. Complaining is, man, it's hot in here. Turn the AC on. Can you please turn the AC on because it's hot or something like that, right? 
That's complaining. You're complaining to somebody, hey, fix this. Okay, this was beyond that. What they were doing is they were taking Moses and, by process, God to court. It's a legal term. And they're presenting their evidence. What they're saying is, before we were alive, now we're about to die. Whose fault is that? Yours and God. So they were about to go, they're basically in court, saying, Moses, you're on trial right now for attempted murder. Okay? And you can just tell the language here. They've already said, yeah, you're guilty of this. Okay? So Moses cries out to the Lord. Yes. What shall I do with this people, with these people? Okay? They're almost ready to stone me. So these people were not only putting Moses on trial, they were the judge too, right? They were the judge. They found them guilty, and now they're ready to stone them. Stoning for, uh, in the Old Testament uh, is not done out of anger. You don't just throw stones at people. No, stones are usually when somebody is found guilty of something. And that's one of the punishments. It's like going to jail, but a lot worse. Okay? So they were ready to judge him, found him guilty, so that they can punish him now by stoning him to death. Okay? So they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, and here is one of the differences here um, that you see from this verses um, Numbers 20. It says, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. So there is no... Um, saying, uh, speak to the, the people or speak to the rock. There's nothing like that. It says, take this judgment uh, rod. So this rod that he was uh, holding, that Miss Julie was holding, that rod represented God and his power, authority, and judgment. It specifically says, this is the same rod that Moses held up for all when all the plagues came about. And this rod was a sign of judgment, not only the power of God, but a sign of judgment from God. That's why he was judging with the plagues. And when he, rode, when he held the, the rod up, what happened? The, the sea split and all the Israelites were able to pass. But as soon as he put it down, the, all the waters came up on the uh, Egyptian soldiers. There was punishment. There was judgment upon them. So when they took this rod and passed the people, they were saying, Oh my goodness, something is going to happen. God, in his wrath, in his righteous judgment, is going to punish us for complaining to him, for putting Moses on trial. Okay? And then the next statement that's written here is one of the most profound statements um, in the Old Testament, one of the greatest statements in the Old Testament. You know, if you ever told that the that the Bible doesn't talk about grace in the Old Testament, that God is just a wrathful God, God is the one who is just judging everyone in the Old Testament, and the New Testament is the, the, the book of grace, uh, tell him to look at this incident and this particular line. So he says, go pass before them and tell them in verse 6. He says, behold, and it's a, behold, you got to pay attention. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So here's a, uh, so the, the picture is the people are ready to judge Moses and God, puts Moses in that judgment seat, right? 
ready to condemn them, ready to stone them. Moses goes and prays to God. God tells him, go past your people. So Moses is passing through his people with the rod of judgment. And then he says, there is a rock, a big, huge rock. And and what I want you to do is, and, and and the words here is, go up on top of the rock. Not so much on the side of the rock, but go walk, climb on top of the rock. And he says, behold, I will stand before you on that rock. What is God saying here? He's saying, the rock represents me. Go on top of where I am. And what I want you to do is, I want you to take that rod of judgment, God's wrath, God's judgment, righteous judgment, and I want you to strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, water will gush forth. What is he doing here? What is he saying? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. For I will proclaim, proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, just and a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Look at Psalm 78, verses 15, 20, and 35, which refers to this particular incident. It says, he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? They remember that God was their rock. So the psalmist recognizes that the rock that Moses was standing on was God himself. Well, what is happening here? What is happening here is Moses comes to judge the people. What right? Do they have to complain? What right do they have to test the Lord, to test his faithfulness, to test his power? They had no right. And they're going to pay for it. Just like they did with the golden calf incident. Just like they did with the snake and the serpent and that snake on, on that rod. People died. There was going to be punishment for these people because they were in, they are in the wrong. They wanted God to be in the judgment seat. Moses walks in and they know that they are in the judgment seat now. And God, the judge, is going to come and punish them. But to their surprise, Moses comes before them and strikes the rock. The wrath of God is struck on God the rock. And water gushes out, and people are saved. That there is the gospel. That there is grace. That people deserve punishment for their sin. Yet God says, I will take upon their punishment and then give them life. This is the New Testament. This is what Jesus said. If you don't believe me, Look at 1 Corinthians 10.4. It says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Referring to this incident. Christ came upon that cross. We were supposed to be judged. We were supposed to be condemned because of our own sin. But Christ comes up to the cross, 
and he is struck by the judgment of God. Blood and water gushes out. And we see that's grace for us. This incident points to that, points to Christ's love for us. And so this is what happened. The people were blessed. God was punished in one sense. Now let's go to Numbers uh, chapter 20. Okay. A few things different, right, that happened here. Moses is told to go and speak to the rock. Okay. He says in verse 8 of chapter 20, Take the staff and assemble the congregation similar, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before the eyes to yield its water. So they were supposed to tell the rock. Okay. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord, and he commanded him. And then in verse 10, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. Okay? And he said to them, he didn't go, he doesn't say he said to the rock. He says, he said to them. So now he's speaking to the people. There's one little difference, right? He spoke to the people. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water from, for you out of this rock? Look at that language. Moses and Aaron standing before him. He tells the people, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? See the difference? Then Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with the staff twice out of anger. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. So if you understand Exodus 17, and see, Moses understood this too. Maybe that generation didn't, because that's the second generation, but Moses was there in both incidents. Aaron was too. So they knew that the rock was God. They knew that the people should have been punished. They knew all of this. Moses, out of either because he was frustrated, but he was, he was just tired of these people, and says, I'm going to go and strike the rock. It's almost as if he said, God, I'm going to beat it out of you. I'm going to strike the rock twice. I'm going to judge you, God, for doing this, for putting me in this place. And he struck God twice. See, it's not a simple disobedience here, what's going on. Because Moses understood this. He's telling the people, you rebels, I am going to save you now. I am going to strike the rock. I'm going to make the water come out so you can drink. What was he doing at this moment? He was replacing God. He was saying, I am your leader. I'm going to take care of this. God told me to do something for your benefit. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to accomplish it my own way. Not according to God's way, but my own way. I am your redeemer. I am your savior. I'm going to give you water to save you. He replaced God. And that's why God says this. It says, And Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. He says, What you did, Moses, was that you did not separate me from, from you guys. See, God is holy, the separate one, the one who saves, the one who has the power, the one who is 
loving, who has done it all for you people. And what you did, Moses, was that you did not separate me from you, and you made yourself as me, meaning you became their God. You became their Savior. You became their ultimate leader, not God. God was not separate and holy. So when they go into the promised land, are they going to follow you or me? God cannot, has to have allegiance. Moses can't be their Savior and God. Only God can. We tried that before. Throughout all of history of Old Testament, that's been tried. People are trying to be the Savior. But there's only one mediator. One, Jesus, who can come and save us from our sins. And Moses, at this moment, at this incident, says, no, I will do what you can do. And I will do it my way. And if I even have to beat it out of you, God. So this was a sin. Not that it couldn't be forgiven, but they couldn't have two gods in the land of promise. So Moses said, you stay here on this mountain and I will be their God, the land of promise. So it's sad, right? All that, all that he's hoped for, it's gone, right? And sometimes we, we think that way too in our lives. You know, as I'm getting a little older, uh, you know, I have regrets here and there. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I imagine my life being something like this, you know, towards the end of my life, ga- gaining things, whether it's, you know, family, food, you know, uh, not food, <laughs> family, you know, money, uh, you know, wealth, all that stuff. You kind of imagine, you kind of picture this, and that's your, kind of your prize, you know, retirement package almost. And, you kind of, and then you make mistakes here and there, and you can't get the things that you wanted. And you feel like, you know, you feel like bitter. You feel like sad that you couldn't get this, your prized thing that you wanted, you're look, you know, working towards. Uh, was that for Moses? He had a great life, right? No man like him, ever. But yet at the end, he couldn't get the great prize, right? Is that how he viewed his life? I don't think so. Because um, I think he had a different perspective in terms of what the ultimate prize was. Let's look at Exodus 33, verse 15. I'll, actually, I'll just read it to you. Um, this is the incident where in the golden calf, you know, the golden calf where, where um, they sinned and they made that golden calf um, and idol worship and, and so forth, and they were punished and, and so forth. And, and God tells them, because of this sin, I will not go into the promised land with you guys. You can still have it. You can still have my stuff. You can have, still have my blessing. But I'm not going to go over there because you guys are just too sinful, too rebellious. I'm not going to go. And so he tells that to Moses and the people. And then they're crushed, right? And then Moses comes up to, with God and, and talks with them. And he says this to, uh, Moses, uh, to God. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And it's probably his greatest moment. He says, Yes, you promised us on the land, you know, the promise. And we're supposed to go there together, and that's great blessings from you. But Lord, if you're not there, if your presence is not there, I would rather stay here, here in the wilderness, with the suffering, with the thirst, with the hunger, with the manna. I'd rather be here with you than go there where there's land flowing with milk and honey. Our land, our freedom, I would rather have you than that. Life, what is life? You know, this whole series was choose life, right? 
Choose life. Well, what's, what's that mean, choose life? For believers, it's what Apostle John said in John chapter 17, 3. And this, this is eternal life. To know me. For us, choosing life means choosing God. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we can grab, what we can get, choosing God is life for us. God is our ultimate prize. And Moses confessed this. I would rather be in the wilderness than the promised land if you're here in the wilderness. Because you are my prized possession. Is God your prized possession in this life? Are the things that you hope for, hope to gain, is that the prize? Is that what you are seeking for? You can have the greatest prize right now, the greatest thing right now. You're choosing life. The greatest life is life with God. Now, how did Moses get to this point? How did he make this confession? Because remember, he, he had it all. He had the wealth. He had the fame. He, he grew up in a, in a royal family. He had the power. He had, he had it all. Yet he says, this is my greatest prize. Having God. Knowing God. How? How did he get to this point? And I, I think it got to the point uh, in this way. Because all throughout his life, I think Moses understood that everything was by God's providence. Even on that boat, finding the, the person, you know, the, the person that found him was actually royalty. Going into, uh, you know, killing somebody, yet escaping and finding a good life as a shepherd with, with the family. All the miracles that he saw, he, he understood that it wasn't anything because he, because he was good. But throughout his life, I think he understood that the only reason why he would choose God above all things was because God chose him above all things. Look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter, um, and this will be the last passage that we will look at, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. And I want you to actually turn to it. Uh, This is actually my favorite verse because I think it shares a a concept that just blows... um, the, the world's concept of what love is and what possession is. It says here, and this is at the very beginnings of Deuteronomy, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Is that where that chosen has chosen you? And the word chosen here, there's a um, uh, connotations of, of love. It's by choice because of love. Okay? It's not just choosing from here, one, you know, any, many, many, mo. It's not that. It's more choosing in love. Okay? Uh, so you can even say, the Lord, had, Lord God has loved you to be a people for his treasure possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people, but it is, it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you to this and so forth. What is this saying? He's saying, God has placed his love on Israel, on his people. He chose them 
Not because they were the most in number, not because they were the best. It's almost, almost like Moses, like God saying, you were the worst. You were the, you were the worst. You were the fewest. But I decided to choose you. Right? That's what it says. I decided to choose you. And remember that the word chose is love, right? So when you read it again, this is what I think the, the text is saying here. He's saying, the Lord chose you because you are not the finest. You were not choice, you know, choice meat, you know, the prime. It was not because you were the best. Why? Is it, did he choose you because you were the worst? No. It says here, it says, the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord loves you. So when you read, think about it, it's basically, he's basically saying, I chose you because I love you. Or if you put it in a, he loves you because he loves you. That is grace. Nothing of, of your merit, nothing that you have done, nothing of who you are, God says to Israel and to us, I chose you. I love you because I love you. Right? That's what this verse is saying here. And that needs to blow your mind. That needs to say in your heart, what? Is that actually, can this be true? And yes, it is true. And when that truth hits your heart, it makes you humble. Because nothing that you have done merits God's love for you. That's why Moses in Numbers 12.3 says that he is the most humble man that has ever lived because he understood this. Nothing in him made God love him. Just he loved him because he was Moses. It creates security for us. It tells people, I am loved by God. I may not be loved by this person. Even my family may not love me but I am set and secure because the holy God loves me, not because of anything that I've done. It creates or has an opportunity to create a community, a true community, because when you are secure in God's love for you, you become vulnerable. You become open. You're not seeking love from others. You're wanting to give love because you have received so much from God. That's what true community is, the true Christian community. He loves you because he loves you. You know, I was thinking of a way to kind of have a, you know, illustration, um, something like that to kind of wrap everything up, but I really couldn't think of anything. Uh, not because I, I didn't try so much, but it, it, it's, it's hard to find an example from this, this world where somebody loves somebody without any merit. Sometimes you can find that in the father and child. That's close. But a lot of times, that's not perfect. So what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you guys create your own illustration to kind of wrap up this sermon. So as I ask the band to come up, uh, what I would like for you to do is just kind of close your eyes for a second. And what, what I want you to do this is your own illustration to wrap up the sermon. What I want you to do is, 
is to run in your mind your life. Who you are. The things that you've done. And in particular, the ways that you have failed. This is just between you. Just you, just within you. Just run the things. How have you failed your family? How have you failed your friend? How have you failed God? And all these things, these images should be popping up in your head. All these things that you have failed, fallen short of what's required. Just think about these things. Let it run, let it run through your head. As you do that, with all the images in your head of your own life, finish it this way. He loves me because he loves me. All the things that you've done, God knows it all. He says, he loves me because he loves me. God chose me because he loves me. Let that word, that phrase, run through your mind. And that, my friends, is grace. That is grace that is being poured out upon you by the God of heaven who came down to die for your sins. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, It's, if we're honest with ourselves, we fall such short of all the things, Lord, that you require of us. We have failed our families. We have failed our friends. We have failed you so many times, Lord. And we know it. And Lord, help us to own our failures. But at the same time, Lord, in spite of all that we've done, we can still say, you love us because you love us. Thank you, Lord. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.